Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Now I want to show you, I'm going to read five verses of Scripture. And every one of them has the word confusion in it. I won't deal with the verse, I'm going to read them. But it's not the context of the verse or what it's specifically teaching. I'll point out what the word confusion implies. I want you to see that. If we can see that, it will show us the horror of confusion. And then we can see the tools and the finished work that's produced in the devil's workshop of confusion. We'll just sit in the Word as we go along. The first verse is Psalms 44:15. Psalms 44:15. Now, when uh, confusion, that word before us, it ends many times in disgrace and dishonor. The verse says, My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. Now, the words that's implied in this word confusion here is disgrace and dishonor. The next one is Psalm 70, verse 2. Confusion many times makes us ashamed and causes us to blush and suffer great hurt. Brethren, the life of men has been put into your hands and you've been made the caretaker of their soul. Keep that before you. Does that really trouble you? Does it really trouble me? Oh, are we still riding the old ship of get ordained where I can get up before the people and say something and tell them how much I know? Is that the ship you're still in? Is that the ship that I'm still in? Do I shudder at the thought that God said, sometime you got to put him out. Sometime you got to drag him down. Sometime you got to destroy him. And sometime you've got to plant, and sometime you've got to build up. Does that pierce you at the awesomeness of it? That verse, this verse says, Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that, that desire my hurt. The three words in this word confusion here is ashamed and blush and hurt. The next verse is Psalm 71, 1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. The word there is delay and disappointment. The next Psalm is Isaiah twenty four ten. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up. And no man may come in. The words in this, the words to be conveyed here is desolation, worthless, empty, and vain. The next verse is James 3.16. Where there, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now here's a statement I made about that verse. Where there is a contest in the pulpit or a competitive spirit among preachers for self-esteem, there shall be envying and strife and every evil work among the people. Now what is it you talking about, Brother Wallace? What's your theme today? The preacher's problems. One of his problems is in his own nature. He'll have a competitive spirit. 
He'll want to have self-esteem. And if he don't keep that under subjection, he'll do anything on earth to have it. Self-esteem. One time as a preacher told me, he said, Brother Wallace, if you didn't know how, he said, you could have been, had more influence than any preacher in the South. Esteem. But I'll take the other course. One time there's a preacher told Brother Guest, just be patient. In a few years you can call all the shots in Memphis and the surrounding territory. Self-esteem. Preacher's problems. The tools and finished product produced in the devil's workshop of confusion. Now just listen at the words again. Here's what the devil loved and what he labored to produce. All coming in the storm of confusion. Disgrace. Dishonor. Ashamed. Blush. Delay. Disappointment. Desolation. Worthless. Empty. Vain. Envying. Strife. Every evil work. Have you, brethren, ever wondered why it took so long to get a good work over? You know whose workshop is holding that back? It's the devil. Because he's produced so much confusion in your assembly to where that you can't have unity. And where there is no unity, no progress can be made. And when you think that you have made progress without unity, you fool no one but yourself. Because where you think that you've made progress without unity, it's like an old cancer. It'll boil out within six months. You can't make without unity successfully. And the thing that hinders unity is confusion. And there's a black cloud in our assembly that's called confusion that will never be stopped. And about the only success that any poor preacher can hope for is in his own local work praying God to let me take this assembly through spiritual maturity into that quiet harbor of unity. Won't be easy. Now then, uh, uh, I believe uh, I'm just going to go with my talk and get through. If you want to get up and stretch, you can. Oh, uh, yeah. Would you uh, reiterate what's about 71-1? Uh, 71-1 <coughs> is delay and disappointment. Can you imagine how a little child of God must be confused when they put a lot of trust in a preacher and then he runs off as the secretary? Can you imagine what confusion that brings in the mind of that little child of God? Can you imagine what it, what confusion it brings and to the child of God related disappointment when they put a lot of trust in their preacher and and he moves off in to take another pastorate and they get to examining around in town and he left not paying his bills. Now I ask you preachers to listen to hear me talk today. I know you know this, but this has been going on for 2,000 years. Like I said in my introduction, some good, some bad. And this bad has such cause, has a, has cast such a shadow that they just don't hardly anyone have any confidence as they should have in the ministry anymore. They just let us have our say and go about their business. And a lot of times we hear there has, there's been such confusion put in the minds of people 
that that good man of God that, that cries out against the eve of his day, they ponder in his mind if he's real. I wonder what his weakness is. It's a, it's a, it's a bad day in which we live. It's a bad day in which we live. So I'm asking us today, uh, the, the ministers, the little handful of us has made it for ten years. We ought to just be double determined to not drive the ship, meaning the assembly of God, any deeper into this horrifying storm of confusion. We ought to be determined to try not to do that. That grieves my heart. You can think about the tragedies out there, that little child of God. Brethren, listen, every preacher is drowning with knowledge. We got books laying around the floor we stomp our toes on, gaining knowledge. And we have to confess, while all of this is going on, it's so hard to find hardly anyone that we could even imagine permitting us to develop them into spiritual maturity. We say, boy, let me have my say. Now, we didn't bring all of this on, but we're in the storm. All I'm asking today, will you be willing to admit that our knowledge has not brought the success that we desire? So if it has not, will we simply take the chart in 1 Corinthians 1.10 and live by, don't degrade it, don't water it down? And could we reach a place where we could sit around in a circle in a Bible conversation and listen to someone at least tell what he knows without butting in to whether everybody else will know. Well, I know that too and can tell it a little better. Will we stop that? God knows what you know. Find somebody to tell it to that you can help. But listen to the other preacher. Sometimes once little preachers gets around you, big preachers, and we're afraid to open our mouths. Because we said the word of the Bible, and when you get through with the Greek, we're afraid to say anymore. But I'm asking you today, don't you Greek 1 Corinthians 1.10 out of its true meaning. You want to follow that course? Now, if we do, if we all want to follow that course, we'll die in full fellowship. And maybe we would have the blessing of just turning the ship just a little in our own little areas away from the main center of that storm. And maybe these little children that we're, that you now talk to here sits on the front pew, tender and young and live, can escape the horrifying tragedy of confusion in the assembly of God. But if they don't, reckon who's going to be to blame? Well, I just want to give a few illustrations now uh, of this confusion. How it comes to being, and it comes into being, just a few of them, and the tragedy thereof. The first one is, is confusion through lying. You thought about that lady, lately what confusion, lying, uh, has people ever lied on you and it confused your mind? People's lied on me and it just confused me and others are dirty. Confused as bad. But that's not really, really, I just throw that in of a sideline. It has many side effects. In Genesis, I'm, I'm not going to read this verse, but it's in Genesis, uh, chapter 37 and verse 32 and verse 34. This is where that Joseph's brother, brethren carried the coat of many colors back up to their father and presented it to evidence for him. Uh, uh, well, I may read that verse. I think I may have to bring out. Presented the evidence that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, their brother had died. Uh, that's a simple verse. We've talked about that all our life. What I want to show you today again to refresh your mind of the horror of this lie. But later on, when they had to come back and tell the truth, it even produced a greater horror. Why? 
because confidence had been lost. You will think about that. I'm going to read that to you and show you now. <clears throat> Listen at it. And this is unnecessary confusion. A person don't have to lie. Now in this illustration here is unnecessary confusion. I'm going to show you an illustration later on where confusion is necessary, but it still disturbs the people's mind. So let's look at this now and read these verses. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and said, It is my son's coat, an evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces, and Jacob rent his clothes, and put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. Don't that kind of do something to your heart today? To see an old man under this influence on the account of a lie. Now what, what, what state is, what state is, uh, uh, is Jacob in? He's in a state of confusion. Well, who sponsored the lie? The devil? The devil loves to hurt people. Now then let's look at, uh, the other verse. Joseph, you know, they're, they're coming back out of Egypt now and they found out that Joseph is down there and they're gonna come back and tell the truth, but listen to this now. The, 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 the second is even exhaled the first. And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Here's a conclusion that I reach out of that illustration. Lying causes heartache. Lying causes heart failure. Lying causes loss of confidence. Lying causes confusion. Lying is intentional deception, yet common among preachers. I don't mean it's not common between church members. But we're talking about the ministry. That's what Brother Guest told me to talk about. And we're talking today, the theme is the preacher's problem. It just gets back to that fact as I grew up. The ministry in my early boyhood, that my daddy was a preacher then, and in my early boyhood they was all together. But at the time that I was 25-year-old, uh, unity had been dispersed. But every preacher that I ever heard speak says that I want to be in unity. What was he doing? He is lying. What did that do to me towards preachers? It caused me to lose a little confidence in them because I knew somebody was lying. And after that I love the Lord, it gave me the heartache. Now it didn't give me a heart failure. I didn't faint. Jacob fainted. He just fell over in a faint. He said he didn't believe it to begin with. That is usually the tragedy of that illustration. Let me let me tell you this, just to illustrate this in my own life. Last weekend, Lord was down to, you know, to stay with Daddy and Mama over the weekend or a day and night, and she started to leave. I said, Lord, I'm going to run off a tape. I didn't get through with my sermon Sunday, and I want you to hear it at the end, so I'm going to run that off and give to you. She said, no, you won't. She said, uh, Said you got, said you told me several months ago if you was going to run off some tapes about the home. Said you had never done it. Well, what did she say to say? You've been lying. Well, what did that done? She'd lost her confidence in you. You say, oh, you know, she didn't want to come to say that. She won't do it. Now, she didn't, she don't think I'm a willful liar. I'm showing you little things if you say long enough. That people will pay more attention to you and as you never spoke. That's called lying. Now here's the most important one I'll talk about, and I may have to skip all the rest of them for time's sake. Uh, but this is, this is the most, uh, dreadful part, uh, of confusion 
uh, that I know about in my day, I'll put it that way. This is confusion through different views from the one truth. I know of nothing that has confused so many minds as this that I'm talking about now. And the illustration we're going to use is about Moses and the spies. <clears throat> this is unnecessary confusion. Now then, if you listen closely, that as I go through this, then I'll be good enough to skip over the rest of my illustrations, uh, uh, believing that you'll understand why I'm going to talk about it in the first place. Now, <clears throat> this is found in Numbers 13, and I'm going to read verses 27 through 29 first, because this has to do with the one truth. Uh, the spies is going to come back and they're going to give a report. And they're all going to agree with the report. But when they give their interpretation of the report, there is a considerable difference. And it throws the people into utter confusion. I just want you to listen to this now as it develops. Now then, if you say, Brother Wallace, I know that before you read it, then I'm going to ask you, is there any confusion in your life? Is any confusion in your assembly? Are they spiritually mature like you want them? Is anybody holding back any work? Well, if any of those can be answered in the affirmative, you should listen to this. And I should listen to it. And try to live by it. Lest I should forget, I want you to know that I realize that I've caused confusion in the lives of people. Maybe some unnecessary and some necessary. There's both kinds. And I regret having to have to have had to say that in either way. But it's so. But I have tried in the latter years to be less guilty of what I'm talking about here. All right, let's read now the one true report. Or the one truth. And they told him, that's Moses, and said... We came into the land whether thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And that big bunch of grapes there. Nevertheless, if people be strong that dwell in the land, the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwell in the land. It's accepted as a fact. Now then, uh, in, in verses 30 and 31, gives a different view of that one report. This time. As the, as the true report developed, it appears that the people began to get a little bit restless about those giants over there. But, but Caleb didn't say, brethren, brethren, that part of it is not right. He didn't say that. But listen to what he did say. 30 and 31. And Caleb still the people. Be quiet a minute. And Caleb still the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But, did you ever hear Brother Tally talk about the heart of that word, but? Elder Tally was a good southern Baptist, but. Well, let's have it here. Here is the, here is the difficulty. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So here, here is the nation of God. Here the reporters, uh, one says we can go up, one say we can't. Now then, in verses 32 and 33, we have the exaggerated report. Did you ever know a man that when he got, a, got carried away, he just couldn't hardly help from exaggerating things? Sometimes when I get excited, Gertrude says, settle down a little now. You ever exaggerate anything and try to move the people or tell a little bit more scared than it really was? You ever preach anyone to hell thinking to make someone join the church? That's exaggeration. But anyway, listen to this exaggerated report. 
Then we have these three things together, a true report, different, different views about the true report, and then the exaggerated affair. And what are you saying, all three? To show you what those people had to contend with. To show you how that it plunged them into confusion. And sometimes we grumble about the people going out there and spending those 40 years and, uh, and dying. But yet one of the things that's involved, how can we know what to do? One says one thing and one another. So listen to this report. And they brought up an evil report. That means an exaggerated report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. That's exaggerated. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. That's exaggerated. And there we saw the giants and sons of an act. Exaggerated. Come, which come of the giants, and we were in our side as grasshoppers. And so we were uh, on their side. Here's a note on that last statement. Here is an exaggerated report, a report of deception, to gain their point to their own destruction. Second Peter 3.16. Then that verse, it talks about men that's willing to warp the scriptures to their own destruction. And what a destruction this was. Because every adult is going to have to go back out there and die in the hot sands of the desert. Does that bother you? Does it bother your soul any, any that you may have done hurt to a little innocent child of God? It does mean I believe I've been guilty of that some. It grieves me more now than it ever has. I grieve you any? I'm going to give you these verses here now and what it does, but I'm not going to read the verses. I haven't got the time. But in Numbers 14.1, it shows that these reports produce bewilderment in the mind. They mourned all that night. Don't you forget that. They wept in their tents. Numbers 14.2, it produced doubt in the ability of their leaders. Brethren, you listen to this. If your assembly has reached a place to where they did doubt your ability to lead you just well to sign off and get out. It's what this evil report done. Saying two different things from the one truth. Numbers 14.3 Cause the people to question God. Numbers 14.4 It hindered the people in doing God's will. What done all of this? One saying one thing and one another. And then on the top of that, for these men that was in doubt to gain their point, exaggerated what they had seen. Are you preaching? Have you ever been guilty when you was in an argument to gain your point that you warped the Scripture a little by taking out of context and you really knew it? Same idea. When people catch you at that, they cause them to lose confidence in you. I want to read my note on that. When we have confused people's minds, but there are many views from the one truth, it is not, it is not easy to restore confidence to where a victorious march can begin. That's Deuteronomy 29:32. That talks about where Moses told the people they should go forward. Uh, God would direct them, but they wouldn't listen to Moses. It said that they did not believe. And Moses said, "You did not believe the Lord, your God." What's behind all of that? Too many different things from the one truth. Well, why do you keep emphasizing that, Brother Wallace? 
Because when I relate that to my day, it's just like preachers. I say, no, I know Elder so-and-so meant well, but let me tell you like it is. Well, us preachers, it's now together. If we keep that up long enough, all that people's going to do is come to church out of a moral feeling to let us say what we got to say and go on home. You experience any of that now? So here's a tragedy that the reporters confuse the people's minds. The people sinned against God. Thousands lost their lives in the hot desert sands through God's judgment. The next illustration was uh, its continual confusion between leaders. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the Bible said, stayed at war all of their reign. It said, Israel in the north sinned, and Judah in the, in, in the south rebelled. And it said that even that their leaders caused them to err. And I'm saying where that ministers cannot get along, confusion is compelled to prevail. I don't care where that's at. That was the second. That was the third. The fourth illustration was that people living in an environment of unreality. This is where that uh, they hear one thing and see another. It's like a little child of God hearing a lot preached about love and all through the week about all they hear is a wild hatred God gossipy conversation from their members that wept while the love sermon was being preached. That that produces and brings into the environment of unreality. And it so confuses the child of God till they don't know whether to go forwards or to go backwards. They're overcome in the storm of confusion. Here is one that has to do with needless, uh, is unintentional confusion. That happened in, 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 in the church at Corinth. I don't believe those preachers up there intended to cause confusion. I believe that God called men. I don't believe it was doing their thing. But through some way of their delivery or, or their personality, it caused confusion. Now the men can't stay at home because that occurred, but that was unintentional. Confusion. I'm in that situation right out there Ripley now. I don't care to say that publicly. Now that, that confusion that I have produced is unintentional confusion. I begin the church out there Ripley, or I ask God to permit me to, and many of the people uh, that the church that I left from just throw them in a confusion. It's probably caused some to doubt me, no doubt to talk about me, and they think I shouldn't have done it. But I've done that unintentionally. But I'm right in doing it in my soul. Because there cannot be any advancement in the house of God by permitting the house of God to do all the leading and you be the tail of it. And they're the head. Sometimes we have to go ahead even though it causes confusion. But even in the midst of that, it disturbs the minds of people, which is a very a distasteful thing. And the reason that it does it is because uh, that through many years these people have been led in ignorance of the things that God said do. And when somebody has taught and, and uh, somebody else is untaught, you know, you listen to this. You'll pick up one Primitive Baptist paper and it'll have a big headline, The Great Commission Fulfilled. And then you may want to look over the other fellow's closet if he takes two publications and the headline will be The Great Commission Applies to Our Day. In that confusion, you believe that's necessary? I believe that any group of ministers that's been, uh, that has been born again, that will come together and out of a pure heart search the scriptures, won't like much in reaching the right conclusion. But we don't want the right conclusion. We want to do our thing and gain our points. Just like the spies did. 
and old Caleb got outvoted. Well, we can hurry through this next one. The second problem uh, is the preacher's number two problem, his self. Here, here is the preacher's number two problem. Don't forget the devil is the sponsor of all problems. But uh, he, the devil really works on the preacher's self, his weaknesses. Do you have any weaknesses that's above other weaknesses? I do. And I'm glad only God knows about some of them. I just try to battle them and keep an honest objection. But if you ever run up on a preacher that tells you that he don't have uh, some weaknesses above others, you better begin to lose confidence in him because he's lying to you. And these major weaknesses in our life demands constant overseeing and saying no to. Okay, let's go with number one. Now, these is not in uh, in chronological order. One, two, three, four. It just is out uh, there. Twelve reasons I put down that that has to do with the preacher's problem, which is itself. Sometimes it is difficult for us to recognize our own fault. I confess that. Sometimes my wife has to tell me mine to bring me down. All of us have the same tendency of David. When the prophet come to him again to talk about him, what one man done, and David said, if you'll find that fellow, we'll take his life. And what the prophet said, you're the man, David. You got that kind of, any kind of weakness in you. Are you quite sure you haven't got no big faults? Can you browbeat a lot, a lot easier than you can be browbeat with someone else? Well, that's, that's, that's a weakness. That's self. That's, that's where that troubles us. You want me to hear these verses? That's in that's in Second Samuel chapter twelve, verses five and seven. David, you're the man I'm talking about. Oh, David couldn't see that. Number two, sometimes we are overcome by jealousy. Oh, Saul was. He is a king. That's First Samuel twenty four fourteen. Now, to you today that are listening to me, that's not a preacher. If you ever hear a preacher say that he don't have any jealousy in him. I'd begin to lose confidence in him because he's lying. And it's more cruel than the grave when it's not guarded. I myself never preached the church here today has that evil seed of jealousy in that old evil nature. Now whether he keeps that under subjection or not will be whether he wants to or not. The devil will help him unleash his jealousy. God will help him Overcome it. That's number two. Talking about the preacher's number two problem is itself. Sometimes we do that which seemeth right in our own eyes. That's the way most all the judges done in the Bible. We get to doing our own thing. That's why that that we don't we 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 don't have much time to hear what the other fellow preached about. Now, what do you think? Because we're too busy doing our own thing. I'll tell you one thing, and I'll say this with all surety that I'm right, but I leave room that I could be wrong. But I believe that we've done our own thing so long until the denominational fellowship is a thing of the past. I believe one church, I'll say this exception to this rule, I talk generally, I believe that most churches have very little concern about the other church. Now, you'll see that demonstrated in New Salem. I am the Enon, if you'll inquire as to who responded to their need. I think that most pastors and most assemblies find uh, that Enon Church was burnt to the ground without any insurance. I think the most of them will say, well, I'm sorry. But if we had not all through the years been so busy doing our own thing, they would have been a close tie between the churches which were in certain instances that we could have a cooperative effort to help those churches in need. But it's G-O-N-E. Based upon what principle that we've been too busy doing our own thing. And then in the midst of that there will be a few churches that will make it a one-time effort. They'll take up a collection and whether that's one dollar or a thousand, 
They'll hand it out and X them all. And then they, you might find, if you examine it, as much as three churches that has shown a real Christian conscientious concern and feeling for their great loss, doing our own thing. Number four, sometimes we are defeated by idle talk. We know that is the grapevine. We find that in King Saul, uh, and in First Samuel 24, 9, here's uh, just about what David said to Saul. He said, Saul, why do you believe what men is saying that I seek to take your life? Sometimes people come up and say, you know what? So-and-so said this about you, and we believe that. And it makes us burn on the inside, and we we believe the grapevine, and to find later on it wasn't years bad as we thought it was. Uh, this has this has a tendency to it's a problem, and it deals with self. Sometimes self will hinders our success. Second Samuel eleven twenty seven. Number six. Here's a bad one. Sometimes we are guilty of intellectual exercise instead of reaching solid conclusions for the benefit of the poor, confused child of God. I want you to listen to these three words in 1 Corinthians 1.10. God said through Paul, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? Adam Eve started, this, started off this intellectual exercise and it's bothered us ever since. See, that bothered, and then, and, and the spies, they all, they all had their say. And then, on the sum of that, the, the ones that wanted to gain their point, I knew that Caleb was right, based upon what God had said, had to say more of what they knew and had to exaggerate to do it. But I'm telling you, any time that us preachers sits around a table and uh, and someone introduces a text, and there's some little children of God sitting around there that's nodded like an old angel, and we josh the light around and snigger while it's going around, and leave that child of God confused, I believe we'll answer to that before God Almighty. That's intellectual. Uh, one, you know, everybody having his say. I've been in those kind of situations and have been guilty. That's intellectual exercise. We all love to tell what we know. But that little child of God has got to leave there in the storm of confusion, which is the devil's workshop. The, 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 the devil wants that child of God to leave there in confusion. The devil's got to have some way to defeat. I know a little boy at Compton to a place where I, I passed her. Now that a boy loves to come there. He loves to get up his Bible verse. His mama helps him. And he just he just anxious to get there. And one of the greatest thrills could be in that little boy's life is to hear his daddy pray. For his daddy to take a minute and read the scripture. He asked him to, but his daddy won't do it. Now what's the devil hoping for? He's hoping to get this little boy in such a state of confusion. Mama tries, but Daddy, the big boy of the house, don't take no part in it. And later on, the devil's hoping that this little boy will be so confused that he wants to, he'll, he'll feel, well, I believe I'll stay home with Daddy. Or, or I don't like church like I used to. And Mama and Daddy don't read none. I had never heard him pray. I'm telling you, the devil is promoting that project. And all these dark-minded and stiff-backed daddies that's throwing it all on their wife is going to answer to God Almighty for driving their little children into the sea of confusion. You can mark that down. But us preachers, it's just about as bad in our own realm of activity. Sometimes we are. Well, then I'll tell you, let's try to get away from, from some of this intellectual exercise and try to really get over that child of God. And this is what it's saying. There's no doubt in our mind. And we beg and beseech you to live by. 
The next thing is sometime we desire the office of kingpin. That's illustrated in 3 John 9, Old Diocrates. Now, now that's like that man telling me, if you'd, if you'd had any wisdom, uh, you'd, you'd had an opportunity, all oh, these young people like you, and I hear them making your name and all, but if you just go my way, you can be the kingpin. That's of hell itself. Any man, I don't care who he is, that desires to call the shots from coast to coast is being promoted by Satan himself. The next thing is that sometimes we use the pulpit for entertainment instead of a place for teaching conviction and repentance. Our Master give us a good rule to follow in Matthew 4.17. Somewhere, sometime, that man of God has got to ask the people to repent. But if we're making a place of entertainment, very little of that type of preaching will ever fall from their lips. We talked about the preacher's problem. Now, it is, this one is, is himself. The second problem. Sometimes we are busy bodies in other men's business. Diotrephes is guilty of that too. And John said, when we get there, we're going to call him into question for the slanderous things that he said about us. So I'll reach a conclusion. If God had just given me the wisdom and the grace to stare a clear course in my own ministry, I don't have time to try to run the other fellow. Not to say slanderous things about him when I have weaknesses in my own life. Say by the grace of God would destroy, destroy me to the uttermost if I permitted them to be unleashed and practice sin. Sometimes we promise more than we can fulfill. That's in Ephesians 4.25. It says, Brethren, don't lie to one another. And that's what we do. Until I get them tapes of Laurette, I'll lie, and I'll restore a little of my confidence back. you have any of that hanging over your shoulder? Brethren, all it does, it just has a tendency to drive the ship away from the harbor of unity into that horrifying storm of confusion which is the devil's workshop. Sometimes we permit money, sometimes we permit money to become our stumbling stone in our work. You don't need to say anything about that because you don't any else believe that we're guilty of that. We ought to search our souls, though. I'm saying this, if money ever hinders me of making any statement in the statement that I have a part in leading, that I should make, then money is hindering me. The last one is, sometimes we confuse the minds of God people by different views from the one truth. And we just talked about that in Numbers 13. I beg you to pray for me that I'll stop all of that. And we'll pray for one another and be determined to keep that before us. What is that little child of God hearing out of us preachers. But notice the devil stands ready to promote all of these evils to our own destruction. If, the, if we give, if we give the, the word, if we give him the word through our self-will, that's the, that's the leverage that the, that the devil has is our self-will, our self. When the devil is permitted to promote our self-will, we lose the confidence of the people and hinder the work of God and leave a tremendous task of establishing reality for the next confusion, for the next generation. I want to ask you preachers this. If you look back in past years and you feel like that somebody unloaded a tremendous task upon your shoulders, have you ever thought of it? you ever felt that way somebody done that? Well, if you have, I want you to consider... What are you going to leave for the next generation? Will we have plunged the ship further into the storm? Or will we have turned it aside in a little measure? 
here's just some things that's a great hindrance to preachers. Lust for women. Lust for wine. Lust for power. Lust for preeminence. Lust for prestige. These things have caused servants of God to commit murder. Isn't that bad? Lust for women caused David to commit murder. Have you ever thought about that lately? This is terrible. It's hard to keep yourself, you know, just straight and going. You know, a preacher's out in the forefront. A lot of times he's handsome. A lot of times there might be some weak women around. They all come by and got to hug his neck. And uh, it's just a tremendous influence. And every man that's normal loves to look at a pretty woman. Now, if you preachers jumped up and said, I don't, that just lessened my confidence in you. But there's a way to look at it without lusting. And praise God for her beauty. But there's another way to look and lust. And David done that. And before that he could get a hold of himself, he's gone all the way. And this preacher that I was riding with must have loved wine. Lust wine. That must have been his weakness. Just couldn't say no to it. How about preeminence? Prestige. It's caused men to commit murder, if not real spiritually. It weakens homes. It destroys assemblies. It weakens Christian integrity. It breaks the heart of believers. It tears down the confidence and causes confusion in general. I say again, we must guard our weaknesses lest we add another step to the ladder of disaster. The preacher's third problem is, is the people that he tries, strives to serve. This is also a terrible, terrible problem. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.